Hey, we get it. You don't want to be hearing a progressive commercial right now. So let us tell you something you do want to hear. You are powerful. You're a warrior who bathes in your enemy's tears. Then you step out of that refreshing tear bath and into a bathrobe that somehow looks good on you. Yeah, you can pull off a robe. There. Don't you feel better? You'll also feel better when you save money for driving safely with Snapshot from Progressive. Mm, savings you can use to buy more robes. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Snapshot not available in California, North Carolina, or from all agents. Hello. Hey, man. What's going on? Hey, Jay. What's up, man? You ready to talk movies? I'm ready to talk movies. Let's do it. Okay, welcome to the Fear in There podcast. My name is Jay, and I'm uh, calling in from New York City. Wow, <laughs> what a sassy New York. This is Zachary, and I'm calling in from Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> is that what you think people, or people are like Paul Bunyan out there? <laughs> yes, yeah, I do, actually. I do. Columbus. Um. Great. Well, really excited to uh, have you on the phone here. Um, we were just talking about vocal warm-ups, and I uh, thought I'd share a fun little tidbit with you. That you know, you know how you always hear like those obnoxious singers warming up for vocals that are like, <laughs> you know, like they do the sure lip do. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I always thought that that was just sort of like a silly thing. Like maybe it like loosens your lips up or something. But like <laughs> it was, it was just people trying to like ham it up, you know. Um, but I actually learned recently that. Um, the reason you do that is not has nothing to do with your lips. It has huh. to do with the amount of air required to move your lips like that. So, like, if you try it and you try to make that like raspberry thing, but then you 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 start blowing less air through, your lips will stop moving. Yeah, they sure do. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's really what it is is it's it's designed so that you know that you're reaching a certain threshold of air moving through your diaphragm or pushing from your diaphragm. Um, so what's the point of that to to give to, you a no- yeah what to, to like loosen up your your vocal muscles because it's like it's like if you're not it's it's like if you were lifting weights but you chose like two pound weights so that's not going to do anything for you. Uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. You have to like warm up, so you have to have some resistance. It's like maybe a better example would be like it's 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 like if stretching, but you didn't stretch to the point where you felt the stretch. You know, like what if my vocal cords are always loose? I'm just ready to go. <laughs> and I think you're like a superhero or something. Yeah, everyone's got to warm up. Everyone's got to warm up. It's true. Yeah. I've been learning a lot about these vocals because I think my voice is particularly um, delicate. So, Well, this is actually a nice, this is a nice way to segue uh, briefly for product placement because uh, you, you won't do this yourself. So you've probably just been waiting. This is episode five. You've probably been waiting, me for, uh, waiting for me to reference this on the what air you, as it were. What are you talking about? Oh, what I'm, talking, I'm talking about the latest release from, uh, by J. Allen Schneider, which uh, is... Hits uh, hit Spotify and uh, whatever your streaming music streaming preferences tomorrow, and tomorrow doesn't mean anything to you because you've listened. You're listening to this in the future. So tomorrow's mm-hmm. November fifteenth, uh, which will probably be some time in the past for you. Uh, yeah, so, so you're it's, already I guess late. It's out now. Yeah, it's it's out now. You're late, and what the hell's wrong with you? Mm. Go have well, a listen. I, I appreciate the plug. Yeah, I. Uh, it's interesting, Julie. My. Uh, my girlfriend who lives with me is constantly uh, telling me I, I like delve into too many passion projects, you know, this podcast in point. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I also, you know, my day job is I'm a copywriter. So, you know, I spend nine to five writing marketing copy and um, getting that paycheck. But I'm also kind of creative in that time. So that's a little bit of an interest. But then I've been, you know, I've been a musician my whole life since I was five years old. Um, five years old. You started playing what? The guitar at five years old, or no, the bass? Piano, piano, piano. piano. Yeah, I, my next door neighbor was a piano teacher. And so, what? You killed him and stole his skills? <laughs> no, she taught me oh, so lessons. I was able to just oh. walk over. I mean, piano is a great way to start music. If anyone's sure. interested, it's a great way because it's a very visual way to understand music theory. Um, right, it's all right, laid right. out. Music right. theory is essentially based around the piano. In my yeah, opinion. right. 
at least modern music theory. Anyway, yeah, so my album's out. You can check it out at jalanschneider.com. Yeah, but Schneider is the harder of the three... No, because elements. because people spell people spell Alan A L L E N, which is not how you spell my middle name. Uh, I you uh, know you're right, you're right, you're right. I mean Maybe, Schneider Schneider's kind of tough in its own true. way. Schneider's S C H N E I D E R. So you know, look up J Allen Schneider. I've got a new record. It's folk music. Some of it's chill. Some of it's a little, uh, you know, a little more noodly. Um, speaking of the noodly, Zach Zachary see Solemn here, Solemn <laughs> Solemn <laughs> Solomon here. Uh, he you you guessed it a nice uh, wonderful guitar solo in the very first track. So oh, it's um, the first track. That's exciting. The very first track. Yeah, and it's a uh, it really that that solo really brings the song kind of to a new level. I wanted to tell you, you thank you for that. You lead there. you so you lead the record with the best song, and it's all just mm-hmm. all downhill. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's because you didn't worse. play in anything else. You know. Well, we did record that one tune that 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 instrumental. Oh wait, that... shit! Yeah, you're on that one too. <laughs> that's like in the middle of the record, and honestly, I just put that there. So I'd it's like that, for royalties make it two songs, not just one song. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, don't worry. If uh, it ever gets to a point where this music is doing anything more than just paying for itself, um, I'll write you some cuts. No, no, no. Just take me out. Take me out to the movies. You know, that's pretty much what it's all about. Yeah, true, 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 true. Well, speaking of movies, that's Whoa. a nice segue. Oh my god. You got me by surprise there. Holy shit. Yeah. How did that happen? Oh, my God. Um, we got through the shameless plugs, the, the <laughs> brief banter. We used the um, word noodle. Hmm, yeah, noodles mm-hmm. are good. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of which, we've been... Uh, oh, wow, another tangent. But no, 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 no. If, speaking if, of movies, if, not noodles, <laughs> movies. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, I'll save the noodle talk for the next episode, or maybe for private, later. Maybe for private later. time. Yeah. Private time, okay. Um, great, yeah, so the movie this week is... <sighs> the Nightingale. Um, and so this movie, I, uh, I had such, I had such high hopes. Well, I don't want to get into my general thoughts. Um, I, I would say if you had to press me for an adjective for this movie, this was a wretched movie. Um, not a pleasant movie to watch. Um, and I think there are some interesting qualities to it. Um, but let's, uh, Let's uh, actually, you know, before we get into that, let's really quickly, um, let's really quickly get into uh, just what what have you been watching? Sure. Anything else interesting? Oh yeah, um, hold on, let me pull up my let me pull up my little my list of what I've seen recently. Well, uh, we saw uh, Mandy and I saw Parasite, um, mm. which was fabulous. Bong Joon Ho, yeah, just unbelievably good. Uh, unbelievably so that one. Good. That one, I don't know how it's going to pan at the Oscars because um, this is interesting. This is sort of like a, a tentative Oscars. What did you watch? Because my movie was also kind of in that conversation. What did you think of Parasite? Oh, we loved it. I absolutely loved it. I, I thought it was great. I've been a fan of his for a while. Um, I like his other films a lot. I haven't seen them all, uh, obviously. But um, what other films do you like by him? Um, I'm a fan of Memories of a Murder. I'm a fan of what is it, Okja? Okja? I don't remember how oh, you say it. Yeah, yeah. The that one looked so interesting to me. That was a Netflix movie or something. That's right. Like that. That's right. Surprisingly, and uh, I like Snowpiercer a lot. It's fun, and I like and the host. That's the other one that I've seen of his. I like the host. Um, I'm distracted by the oh, bad CGI, the but uh, I like it. I see. But anyway, yeah, I think Snowpiercer is a like a. Kind of, kind of like a sneaky masterpiece. Yeah, totally. Like, like I, I think it's it's the best Chris Evans. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. But and isn't um, there isn't the guy at the end like a surprise big actor? Yes, and I don't, I don't. Weirdly enough, I don't. Oh, you know what? It's Ed Harris. That's is who it, it is. Ed Harris. Yeah. Okay. Ed Harris. I was gonna um, say I didn't remember, but spoiler. It just into I guess my spoiler head. alert. That's that oh. was sort of like a twist Oops. cameo thing. Sorry, sorry everybody. Um. And the other thing I've been watching is uh, we talked about this briefly, and maybe we'll even do an episode on it. But I've been I've been going through the uh, Haunting of Hill House Netflix show, mm. and I've been enjoying that. Yeah, that's great. Let's let's definitely save that because I loved your idea yeah, yeah, of yeah. like 
of like we can do a review, but let's like try to center it on one episode. I think that's awesome. Um, yeah. And there's one specific episode that I think is the one that would be most interesting to talk about, and I'm curious to see if you independently arrive at that as well. Interesting. Okay. All right. Say no more. What? Anyway, what about you? What have you been watching? Um. So. I have been watching. So I, Julie, and I saw Jojo Rabbit. Uh huh. Um, you know anything about this movie? Yeah, I know a lot about it. Yeah, I I really was curious to get your thoughts on it. Maybe maybe I'll talk to you after because I don't want to belabor too much time on the actual cast here. Sure. Um, but this is just another revisionist, you know, kind of like like. T- sort of trying to subvert the concept of Nazi Germany again for the purposes of entertainment. And that's like sure. going to inherently be fraught. And I know you as someone who, you know, you're a Jewish person, you know, like, <laughs> and so I think that that, like my consumption of that movie is going to inherently be different than yours. Sure. Um, though I will say Julie's also Jewish. So, and she and I both really enjoyed it. Okay. Um, nice. And we thought it was a lot of fun. Weirdly, um, it's an absurdist <laughs> comedy that has a crazy cast. It has Sam Rockwell, Scarlett Johansson, um, Rebel Wilson's in it, weirdly. Um, and then there's, of course, uh, Taika Waititi, who right, directed right, right. it, I believe. Um, and he's also, he plays Hitler in it, which yeah. is funny. Cool. Okay, so uh, talk to me. How did you watch this movie? Uh, I watched it in the dark on my laptop. Uh, you know, ear earbuds in, like kind of the yep. kind of the best way in some ways for me to watch a horror movie. Although, of course, of course. What, this is this is decidedly not a horror movie, but yeah. Interesting that you say that, and I think that that's a, I think that's a really good thing we should touch base yeah. on later. Is is what what we're defining as horror movies? Right, um, right, exactly. And this is something that does change. Uh, that does that I think changes depending. And I, I think we should talk about that in the context section, which is right after this. So sure, sure, um, sure. But yes, good point. Um I watched it in my living room, like I watched most of the things. Um it was nice that it was available on Hulu. Mm. Um so, you know, it's like Hulu's one of the many, many uh logins that we've stolen from friends and family over. Oh the good, because I'm gonna I'm gonna need to steal that from you because I actually had to rent this movie like a jerk. I think let's jump right into context and, and Good. blow right through this. I think I agree with you that this movie is horror only in so much as the um, the intensity with which right. the the moment that kicks everything off is a horrific moment. Well, right, exactly. I, this this film immediately puts forth the argument that real life is more horrible and horrifying than any imagined horror content could possibly be. Hmm. Yeah. True. I, you know, that, I mean, that's an interesting reading. Um, I would say the context of this movie for me is also the context that like, we're kind of like the two categories I like to point out in this context is how, like what my relationship to this movie was prior to the movie. Sure. And then what this movie's relationship was to the history of horror, it was an important. In this case, um, I think the two are very intertwined. You and I both really loved um, this director's other film. Yeah, the Babadook. Duke. That's right. Um, and I think that's frankly the only reason everybody, like no questions asked, started putting this into the horror conversation. Yeah, um, right. Because I think that that's movie, right. you know the the Babadook is is horror, but the Babadook's also like an allegory for real life horrific stuff, like. The Babadook is about, like, not addressing... Grief, yeah. Med, med, grief and mental Depression. trauma. I mean, uh, Ari Aster in both of his movies, mm-hmm. you know, discusses that as well. But, like, I think the Babadook does it in, 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 such, a, in such a direct way. Um, and so I, I think a lot of people were like, okay, the follow-up to that movie is this movie. And... What I will say, the context of this movie in larger horror, the only line that I could draw of similarity, which I think is the most poignant one, in mm-hmm. my opinion, is the history of revenge movies. Sure. Well, um, of course. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So this is kind of like a period piece version of I Spit on Your Grave or Last House on the Left. Right. Um, right. Right. 
and those are both people consider those horror movies because of the over the top violence and the slasher aspect right. to them. Um, if this took place in 2010 and not the 1800s, uh, would you consider it a slasher movie? Like, yeah, I, I, sure, or or a you know, or or a thriller at least. You know, I, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. It definitely joins the pantheon of of revenge films whose POV and whose sympathy resides in a like a a, a spurned, traumatized hero or heroine and. You know, we follow them on their journey to exact, you know, vengeance mm-hmm. on on somebody who's killed their parents or siblings or yeah. whatever it is. You know, uh, Kill Bill or you know something like that. And I, I, I um, I don't know. I, I guess it depends on on again how you define horror as a genre and what the trappings of the genre are. I, I think in this film, in The Nightingale, uh, there are a couple of sort of hallucinogenic, you know, hallucinogenic. Or hallucinatory, oh, yeah, yeah, hallucinatory sequences, but they're not particularly scary, and and they're not, and they seem intended to be scary, uh, in the way that there can be scary bits in thrillers and 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 you know, psychological yeah, thrillers. Yeah, na- naturally, yeah, to- totally. You know, um, and that doesn't make it a horror film. I, I this is not. Uh, I think it'd be tough to to like. I don't know. I think it's tough to make the argument that this is a horror film, uh, a straightaway horror film. Okay, so I think the context, so, so yeah, so, like, the two things that I viewed it was, again, you and I both, um, the director, which I'm going to pull some names up so we can actually... Sure, Jennifer Kent. Um, Jennifer Kent, yeah. So I think that, that that lent it a lot of weight, and to be fair, I think that this was a really well-crafted movie um, in a lot of ways, but uh, I, I guess, like, before we put up that spoiler... Um, I, and and sort of dig into you know what we liked and what we yeah. didn't like. Um, would you generally recommend this movie to someone? I would, sure. Okay, cool. So yeah, I think I agree with you. I think it was really hard to watch if you're not prepared for right. um, for you know graphic depictions of sexual assaults and um, you know some sort of like gritty non stylized violence. Mm-hmm. Um. Then I, you know, you should probably <clears throat> consider something else. I don't think this is a date movie. I'm glad <laughs> neither of us watched it with the girls around. I well, um, I wanted to. I tried to get Mandy to watch it, but I, I told her a little bit about, you know, the trigger warnings, and she passed. <laughs> she she declined. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I think that like there was something that I, you know, I'd watched a lot of movies with that sort of thing in right. it. Um, and you know, over the course of my my tenure in, in horror, um, and I. <clears throat> and I think uh, for some reason this one even triggered yeah. me more than it usually right. does. Right, I had that reaction um, too. Yeah, um, but so yeah, I guess though that's the that's the the two seconds. Like otherwise, if you're okay with that, um, I think it's definitely worth watching. Just as even just if you're a fan of The Witch or something like that, that's like really like trying to have a strong attention to production design and detail in that way. Um, I think this movie was pretty good. Um, and it does tell like a nice period story. Um, not nice. Yeah. I was going to say nice is perhaps the wrong uh, adjective there, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It tells a succinct period story. Um, so cool. All right. So let's throw up the spoiler warning and jump into what we liked and didn't like. Um, also did you listen to the last episode and did you hear your spoiler sound? (laughs) <laughs> no, I forgot to. Oh, <laughs> uh, I recommend you listen to uh, no, but I, rem- I mean, I remember making the sound. <laughs> yeah, you made a bunch of like laser noises and stuff, <laughs> oh, and God. so. Uh, oh, okay. And but what I did was I took it out and I like did a bunch of shit to oh, it. Oh my God! Okay, so, I'm gonna listen to it after this. All right. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, so I'm gonna drop it in again here. So the spoiler warning. All right. <laughs> Sure. I mean, the plot is, as you say, the plot is very simple. Uh, the Nightingale is the story of a very young woman named Claire, an Irish woman who has, uh, who's an ex-convict um, of a penal colony in uh, Tasmania uh, at the time that it's a British uh, colony. And she's freed uh, from uh, prison but she's under the uh kind of ownership or stewardship of a really nasty uh, nasty doesn't do it justice a nasty uh, i guess left uh, lieutenant 
in the English army who refuses to give her her papers so that she and her husband and her newborn child can be free finally once and for all. And um, essentially, uh, some kind of army-based politics occurs, and this lieutenant, in an act of exceptional cruelty, after denying her for the umpteenth time her freedom, um, murders her husband and her baby... Uh, with his, you know, with his his sort of trusty two henchmen, uh, and then repeatedly rapes her, uh, and this is all in the first thirty minutes of the film, and then what follows is the story of Claire, who's sort of loosed from reality. Uh, she's unbelievably traumatized, uh, venturing into the Tasmanian bush um, to exact her revenge on this troop. But along the way, or I guess at the beginning, she uh, pays a, an Aboriginal Australian. Uh, who goes by Billy, uh, it's not his given name, but he goes by Billy, uh, to be her guide. And then it's a bit of a... The film kind of transitions genre, in a sense, and they wind up uh, in a in a relationship that begins with uh, the kind of what you'd expect from, like, a white Irish woman of a slightly better uh, class uh, dealing with a Aboriginal black Australian... Uh, and the racism and yeah, I, uh, I, I, all all the dynamics of that. Yeah, I think clearly you're you're you said a better class, but I I think in this case it's very marginal. I think, um, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think the point that this movie it's is very trying much race, to make right. that like she's constantly trying to put herself above him, but at the end of the day, right, they're they're both in kind of the same class in this world. She's right, a, right. a female ex convict basically. So and and Irish too, which was a lower station in life than the English. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, and, 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 you know, and then the rest of the film is essentially them, you know, traversing the bush, trying to catch up with this small army troop, um, who, for reasons that we don't need to go into, are, you know, are heading towards one of the larger cities, uh, in, in the region. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and I think we can leave it there. I mean, essentially, what happens is what you would expect to happen is they catch up with the troop, uh, and violence and revenge is, is exacted, perhaps not in ways that you expect, which is one of the things that we, mm-hmm. we should talk about. Yes. Um, but the one last thing that I will say uh, that's helpful is that, um, I, you know, this is the first time, this is the first time that Aboriginal, one of the first times I should say, I don't know for a fact if it's the first, but it's one of the first times that Aboriginal Australian stories has been told in popular um, dramatic fiction like this, tra- popular cinema. Um, and this war, the Black War between uh, Aboriginal Australians and English colonizers, took place in the mid 1820s through about 1832, uh, and that's the time period in which the film takes place. Uh, and so that's uh, that's kind of the milieu of the film. And so that's that's mm-hmm. where we are. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you have much better grappling on what the history of this movie was. Cause I, I honestly didn't even get get. The, the message that this took place in Tasmania. Um, well, I did some reading after the fact. I, I yeah, gotcha. yeah, yeah. I mean, the movie isn't super clear about a lot of those specifics. Like you know, there's sure. the war, and you know that there's like these these couple of uh, you know troops of soldiers. Um, this the the whole impetus for this captain being an asshole is because he's an entitled um, white captain who is ready, or is he a lieutenant at the time? He's a lieutenant. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and he wants to be captain, and he's been snubbed a couple of times, so he takes it out on um, our main character here. Um, and so, like, that's really... This This is a, a story... This is just a classic uh, sort of terrible, horrible revenge story resulting right. from, you know, a woman being taken advantage of, but it's superimposed onto this world, this very historically accurate world. Um, and 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 incredibly marginalized and underrepresented world too, which is part yes. of what makes the film, uh, you know, really really quite important. I think. So yeah, I'd love to get into that. I think um, a little bit at the reading part after sure. after yeah, yeah, yeah. I sort of give the sense mm-hmm. because I think that that is the reading. The reading is um, it, you mentioned Green Book, and it's it's so funny because like that's kind of what I said in my head. It's like this. It's good that we can get into that in a little bit later. Um, so, uh, I yeah, I that I think that was really well synopsized. Um, so, 
What I liked about this movie, the one if I had to pull one thing I liked about it, this mm-hmm. movie, like I said at the beginning, this movie is very wretched. Um, it's very, yeah. very hard to watch these um, scenes. And I kind of thought it was going to be like cordoned off to the beginning of the movie. So once you got past it, sure. then it was just right. going to be like this adventure movie. Right, right, right. Um, but it wasn't because then, you know, like halfway through this, you know, these soldiers who are kind of in the middle of nowhere and they're totally, you, they know they're going to die. Like they know that this is super dangerous what they're doing. They're walking through this wilderness with a bunch of aboriginals around, like who want to kill them. So, uh, but in the middle of the movie, they find an aboriginal woman who's alone with her, her little child. And the first thing they decide to do is to capture her and keep her around as a sex slave. Um, and they show a couple of moments where they, you know, rape her as well. So I, yeah, yeah, it's not a comfortable movie to watch. I can (laughs) underscore that. And I think it's not uncomfortable in the sense that it's like really gross, like not, I, I, it is gross, but I would say it's not like, we're not talking like Eli Roth torture porn here. Um, we're talking like very real. No, it's realism. I mean, this is this is very much a realist film in mm-hmm. in in many ways, at least. Yeah, but the one thing, I, and and so so on that point, and what I thought was really realistic, I re, I understand the appeal of of a of a revenge story told from this lens. Um, like I understand the line, maybe not the appeal, but the lineage of that in horror because mm-hmm. it's like about female victims, like it's subverting the slasher genre. And and being like, oh yeah, you remember this 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 woman that you thought was so helpless? Well, she turns out to be a badass Rambo the rest of the movie. Um, sure. And like I understand that appeal, but it's not it's not realistic. And no, no, exactly right. And and I think one thing that really bothers me about the concept is to assume this woman who you know had never had to be violent at all in her entire life um, is assaulted in some way at the beginning of a movie. And then suddenly she becomes someone who is extra capable of violence because she snaps. Mm. And I think there are two issues with that. One, she did not have the capacity before and therefore might not have the strength, might not even know how to kill Mm. someone, like might not be able to use a gun. Um, But then the other half of it is, is she's like trauma is, is handled in so many different ways like maybe some people lash out but i think a vast majority of people like kind of turn in on themselves you know mm. and it's like it's like ptsd does not turn into like a murderous rampage all the time and so uh, that's something that has always bothered me about it because it's like how did this this woman at the beginning of the movie um that was so obviously a victim suddenly become this like savvy predator and I just don't think like I I, th- I see the power dynamic and the interest there, but I don't see how hmm. that makes sense in the story. And in this movie, particularly, they address that in a way that I found really realistic. Because oh, I see. I, so, okay, I'm with you. Yeah. I, so all of what I didn't explain myself properly. Everything I was just saying is is all the historical examples of Yes, 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 yes. That's generally, right, that's generally your issue with the representation of PTSD and the sort of transformational, the violent transformations that can undertake in Mm -hmm. these kind of like heroistic-ish things. But you're saying the Nightingale, in fact, uh, handles it nicely. You're you're saying that that it's done done well. Appropriately, yes. They don't Okay, okay. Her first kill... It's not a comic book story, right. Yes, her her first kill is, is very brutal, but... It's not very, it's not clean. It's not calculated. It's like she stumbles across this guy. Like one of the soldiers gets separated and he's injured and she stumbles across him and she has her, she has the gun in her, this musket she's been carrying around this whole time. And he's like, oh shit, please help me. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, you know, hurt your family. I was just following orders. And then she's like, she just she right. can't tell if she's gonna like shoot him or not, and she's like really struggling with like, am I capable of this? Right. And then eventually she kind of bumbles it and shoots him in the leg, and he falls over. Right. Um, and then she goes and like uh, tries to like sh- shoot him again, but then he like kicks the gun out of her hand or something. They get into a struggle. Then he pulls out a knife. She wrestles the knife from him and then stabs him a few times. Uh, 
but it's not clean. He's still not dead after she stabs him like eight times in the chest. And then she takes the musket and just like beats him in the face until he's dead. Like it's again, it's like if you were tasked with killing someone for the very first time, like this is how I would imagine it goes. Sure. Like no matter how much you hate this person, like you don't know. I don't like, I don't know where to shoot someone, where to stab someone. I don't even (laughs) know like how much force it would take to push a knife into someone's chest. Like, the movies tell me it happens automatically, but like, and so I think that that's what I liked. Like even this first kill. And then after that, you see her numerous times when she could be shooting at people. She, she sort of like can't do it because she's so sort of damaged and so, you know, upset about the situation. So that's what I liked most about this movie was that it, 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 it tried to, to, mm-hmm. to take this revenge story and say, look, she needed to do something, but that doesn't mean she can do that thing, you know? Right, 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 right. Uh, yeah, so, so that, that was my one my, my one pull away. Um, and then I think, you know, oh. just the production design and everything was really, really beautiful and really realistic looking. Okay, so what didn't you like about it? Uh, I'm going to save that for the reading. <laughs> Oh, all right, all right. I, I, I thought the message they were trying to send was, to use a phrase that you, uh, that you like, I thought it was pretty ham-fisted what they were trying to tell me. Um, okay, sure. And I have some mixed thoughts about that, but I, sure, I think sure. the underlying message of the movie was a little bit, a little bit aggressively on the nose. Um, okay, okay. So, uh, but yeah, I just think it was a well-crafted movie. I don't think the story was that interesting. Very, uh-huh. a, very A to B. You know, right, right, uh, so, right, right, right. So right. I also didn't really like that. I couldn't really dig in because there were no twists and turns. You know, um, so yeah, yeah. But I, right, I, I, I hear you. I hear that. It's a well-crafted movie, and I and I think they're them dealing with her. You know, dealing with her situation, I think was really effective. Right, 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 right. Uh, what about you? Well, um, yeah, I, I I certainly agree with you about the production of the film. I like. Um, I thought this was a movie that made a really strong... I thought Kent made a really strong case for shooting in the Academy ratio. You know, the kind of, like, boxy... Mm. Uh, the boxy framing of the film. Yeah, uh, I old, shooting... old, like, uh, CRT yeah. TVs or whatever. <laughs> I, I, and I... Well, predating that by, by gosh, well, yeah, many, many years. But, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, and I thought, I thought you know, shooting on film and, and this, uh, this, you know, the... the um, Camera work, uh, Radek Ladchuk, I'm probably not saying his name right, but the same guy who worked with her on The Babadook, I think this guy's really talented. Um, yeah. I, I was really taken with a, with a lot of the way the film was shot. Um, a lot of, like, single camera stuff, a lot of, uh, you know, like, kind of, like, mid-close-up stuff, faces right in the frame, really amazing faces. Um, excuse me. Uh, the acting, the, the, the central, or central actors... Uh, I'm probably going to butcher both of these names, but Claire, who's played by Aisling, Aisling Franciosi, and uh, Billy, uh, Bekali Ganambar, who's actually, this was his first role. Uh, both of them are, 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 I thought, were fantastic. Um, so a- a- and- a- Aisling just, yeah, hit this this Aboriginal actor, this was his first, uh, his first thing, but Aisling has been in a lot. Um, sure. And specifically, she is in Game of Thrones, which is weird. Oh, is she? Who is she in Game of Thrones? Yeah, she's a small role. She plays, um, uh, she plays Lyanna Stark. Um, oh, you know the the basically John John Snow's yeah. mother who dies giving birth to him. Spoiler, oh, spoiler funny. alert! Spoiler um, alert! I gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah God, I would so, not have. I would never have. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, realized it's a that. Small okay. role, but she does play. Uh, she well, does play her. They were both. I thought they were both fabulous. And part of what I think you. Uh, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but part of how why I found the violence so realistic, uh, and and especially that scene that you went into with such gruesome detail. Thank you very much uh, of her of Claire killing this first soldier. It was her her selling of it. I mean, you know, she yeah. she really. I thought she was really transcendent. Um, I I yeah. I I mean, I don't know. Um. There was a lot about this film that I liked a great deal. I thought it was like, I don't know. Like, I, I thought immediately that this is a film that I would want to teach. 
if I was still teaching film, I would I would probably I'd find a way to put this in the syllabus. Um, I, I think that's but, a really interesting point because so let me let me just finish let me just oh, finish yeah, that yeah, thought sorry, because sorry, sorry. no just just but but it I think almost in a kind of a contradictory sense exactly why I would put it on a syllabus is probably why you don't ultimately love the film. Um, like, the things that are to your, you know, to ham-fisted or on the nose are the things that make it really teachable uh, in, like, a mm-hmm. college le- on a college-level film class or, yeah. like, a sort of an intro to film class, which are the things that I was teaching. Um, yes. That's kind of why it's teachable. It's teachable because it's on the nose in a sense. In a sense, in a sense. I mean, I've taught way more difficult films than this uh as far as content goes you know but but anyway yeah so actually so actually why don't do you want to transition to to readings is that the next uh yeah it's getting funny because like as we uh, you know listeners as we figure out this podcast we're only on episode Mm -hmm. five now um i think reading is sort of bleeding into the 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 more more, like because i think the first review is just initial and like going over the plot and pointing out some cool things and then the reading is kind of like trying to get to the core of of what the filmmaker was trying to say um right i think that's right yeah yeah and, and, and i think your point about teaching it is interesting because this is a really clear example of someone saying, I'm going to make a film to say something to you um, with film. And I think that I read that the whole time in this movie. Right. And right. I right. believed that it was too much of that, I think. Right. Um, and right. so, yeah, yeah. So, so tr- go ahead and transition. I, I'd love for you to make your point there. Yeah, no. So, so, so you're, you're already kind of hitting it for me. Like, I... Um... It's funny, but anyway, t- like I will say what I what I want to say, but um, as I as I usually do, but um, uh, yeah, I don't know if you ever read the if you ever read the criticism of uh, if you ever read Richard Brody, who's a staff writer for the New Yorker, he mostly does the uh, uh, New Yorker online film uh, reviews, but he but he's somebody who really really favors the deep read of a film, and often his reading of a film will. Uh, mesh seamlessly for better or for worse with his review of the film so if the so if a film is making either intentionally or unintentionally a political statement that he disagrees with uh he'll probably trash the movie and and he's i mean he's a brilliant person um and i really admire his reviews a great deal it's it kind of can be a limiting way to look at film but also Mm -hmm. it's the way that he does it and to a certain extent the way that i do it so um so what i'll say about the nightingale and my quote-unquote reading of it is like i mean this is a film that is very much concerned with the like what's that like bell hooks what bell hooks talks about she talks about like the white supremacist capitalist imperialist patriarchy i'm getting the order of those things wrong Mm -hmm. but like you know the system of interlocking beliefs and oppressors and regulations uh and so forth that that essentially you know are the overlords of our world this is a film that is tackling all of those things. This is a film that is tackling colonialism. It's talk, tackling imperialism. It's tackling the patriarchy. It's tackling toxic masculinity. Obviously racism, class. It is taking everything down. And I think that's utterly fabulous. And I also think that it's too long, too obvious, too on the nose. And there's a kind of like programming dialogue to this film where people like way too cleanly state exactly what the values of the film are Mm -hmm. in ways that are like the total antithesis of realistic dialogue which is a huge shame because it's a really realist movie and so you know and like like huge spoiler but the end of the film is it okay that i'm about to say this yeah it's okay we're not my mom do whatever i want don't you remember don't you remember the pew 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 thing oh i remember it vaguely it's somewhere in the recesses of my subconscious but the, at the climax, the climax of the film is Claire and Billy have hunted these soldiers to the main town in Tasmania, in the north of Tasmania. I don't know the name of the town. Um, <clears throat> I've so never like, been anywhere like near Sh- Tasmania. Walford or Shorten? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's Walford Shorten. Uh, uh, um, and 
And our and our main villain is uh, he's already he's gotten the promotion that he wanted so badly. And Claire tracks him down to this like men only soldiers <laughs> hangout. And you think maybe you think that she's going to like publicly execute this guy, but instead she delivers this uh, this soliloquy, not so you know this monologue. I thought that uh, was the most beautiful part. Really? Yeah. I think we were at odds in that, but keep going. Oh, interesting. Well, I, I, I found it beautiful, too, in content, but as far as as far as far a film goes and as far as a story goes, I just it just felt like an enormous departure from realism to me. It felt like uh, fantasy. I mean, essentially, she delivers this, this standing monologue in a room full of hushed, awed, shocked British soldiers about what men do to women over the years and... And how they kill them, and they rape them, and they oppress them, and they marginalize them, you know. But women will persist, you know, so forth. And it, and it had an almost like a heroic kind of, I don't know, I, I um like a, like a heroic manifesto. Uh, and content wise, I mean, I completely fucking support it. It's amazing. I, I, everything she says is incredible. But it felt. Like a total fantasy to me, whereas the rest of the movie didn't feel like mm-hmm. fantasy. It felt it felt like real life. So yeah, that, that, that's my feeling about you it. You know, it, I, I agree a hundred percent with everything that you just said. I think, um, yeah, I, I think one the message that was said did not need to be said again. Like, right. I don't know that. Like, it's it's the same reason that I was like, why are we watching Green Book right now? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. this has been covered so many better ways like and 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 i think there's a lot of ways to look at that but in this case a little bit of it is you know i'm an american white male um i learned about slavery in my school in new england so pretty liberal school um i've watched a lot of movies about slavery so the context of that is like of course, my baseline is that racism mm-hmm. is wrong, classism in in that in the overt sense like that is obviously wrong. Like all of these things are wrong. So the movie telling me that again, I was like, right. I don't think like we start there, so we need to move on from there, right? Yes. On the flip side, if this movie is trying to just depict a time period, it's like the same. You could make the same criticism about Mad Men, like. Sure. Why is Mad Men trying to tell me that the 60s were awful for women? Like, right. it's true. And it's a, I mean, I love Mad Men. Mad Men's a great show. Um, I just think it's, it's like we're getting to the point where it's like, it's really hard for me to parse this because this is attempted, this is an attempt at historical fiction. This is not, right. you know, this is not some metaphorical movie. This is not like no. like the movie Mother, no, right. like Aronofsky's Mother, where, where <laughs> right. you know, that's an allegory. That's not about the time period that that house was, you know. This is about right, the right. time period. So, like, I, I would understand. So I think what you put so poign- poignantly just then, which I think actually helps to clarify why I didn't like this movie, so I appreciate that, and I think that's the point of this mm. podcast. Um, the movie's very real in production. It's very real in, real in setting. It's very real in production design. It's it's got so it's even very real in the way that trauma is dealt with, in the way that sure. violence is dealt with, um, and sexual assault is dealt dealt with. Because like it, you can just see the defeat on her face right, every right, time, right. and so like all this, all of these things feel so visceral and real. But the dialogue, right. which is the vehicle right. to send the message of the movie, feels so not real. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. And, that's and, right. and I think that's the core of the point. And and so the reason I think I liked the end of the movie more than you did is because yeah. when I got to that point, she finally ratcheted up the movie thing. Because because mm. when she waltzed into this huh. officer building at the end with the guy who finally got his promotion, who had raped her countless right, right, right. times and killed her whole family, was with a bunch of officers that were quote-unquote proper. And she came right. in, and you expected her to come in, steal someone's knife or gun. Yeah, guns blazing, right. Shoot right. him and then die, right? Like, that's what we thought. We thought she was going to shoot the guy or kill the guy and then get killed herself or get Blaze of again. glory, yeah. And that's kind of what I assumed. But when that didn't happen, a very movie thing happened. 
Like, right. It, That's right. It, That's a good point. She yeah. stopped and she sang a song. She has a beautiful voice. Um, mm-hmm. And it was very moving. And you're right. I thought Aisling was very incredible in this movie. Um, I thought her performances communicated a lot of emotion that I honestly didn't think. And frankly, that's probably the reason I was so uncomfortable watching stuff that I see in lots of horror movies was because she sold it so well that I felt like this is awful. Um, And so that moment I thought was amazing because I was not, I was not taken out of uh, the realism or or I wasn't half in realism and half out of, you know, I was like in yeah, a movie. Yeah, yeah. It was a movie moment. It was a close-up on her face as she was singing that song and as she was giving that monologue. And I thought it was it was really moving. And I also thought it was the first moment that I was like, okay, this is a crafted scene in a movie that is, right. is right. over-dramatized and, you know. So, right. Right. Uh, yeah, so I think that's, that my, my reading is like we, we understood what they were saying. I would say that your point about it being like an Aboriginal story and not a Southern well, American mm-hmm. slave story felt fresh, but it's interesting. Well, I, I do want to say something about that though before. Yeah. I want to say something about that, which is that I, I am very happy and it, I, I'm very happy that this film was made. I think it's extraordinary that, Kent took it upon herself to represent this sort of, you know, this Aboriginal Australian uh, story, or at least to represent Aboriginal Australians on on the silver screen, period. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could not help but feel like I was watching a movie about a uh, an oppressed and marginalized population told through, like, refracted through the story of whiteness which is what we see time and time again it's again the reference green book you know it's just like here's a story of blackness but only told through the perspective of whiteness and that's just god i'm we're we've had enough of that i mean (laughs) i don't like kent should make the movie that she wants to make and i think this movie was really as we've discussed great and successful in many ways but like tell a story about aboriginal australians like just period that's cool. That would be cool. I, I, I do, that would be great. I, I, to be fair, there probably are movies in Australian film that do that. Um, Perhaps, yeah, yeah. No, that's right. And but, I don't, I don't entirely know what I'm talking about when I say that. Yeah, but. I, I think you and I are both are both. We both want to like give the world the benefit of the doubt because the world has spent its whole time giving us the benefit of the doubt. You know, like I like we, we all grow up with different privilege, but you and I had a you know a sort of. A, a mostly privileged upbringing to a certain degree um, sure. when compared to obviously all these other things. So I think for me, I, I'm always willing to give this, this kind of story, the benefit of the doubt. And yeah. Kind of like, no, uh, undoubtedly. Yeah. I, uh, I, I think your, your point is good. Um, the other thing to consider is I do think she's making a commentary about how um, Claire in this whole movie is trying to position herself as the one with more power because of her race alone. Right. Um, and it doesn't work. He's all, the whole time, he's the one with more power. Like, except right. for, like, 10 minutes when he had been captured, you know? But, like, most of the movie, he's the one who's a step ahead of her. He's the one who knows more. He helps her because he, yeah. sort, he sort of, like, inst- sure. instinctively realizes it's the right thing to do. Um, which paints him in a really positive light. I think he's a really likable character. His performance is amazing. Yes, he's fantastic. Um, but so I, I to to put, I agree with you about like the the you know the story of blackness is told through whiteness. But I I do think it's not the story of blackness is told through whiteness. It's sort of the story of blackness is told through female whiteness. Like sure, li- no, like I, I there's that you. extra bit, you know. I, I hear you. I hear you. Um, the last thing I'll say also is just an interesting thing to maybe an interesting tie in with Kent uh, and the Babadook is that my only when I think about the Babadook, which I, I haven't seen now in probably, you know, a couple of years. So it's not the most fresh in my mind. But mm-hmm. I really like like you said at the beginning of the episode, I really liked that film a lot. I, I think it's scary. The performances are great. I think it's a pretty ingenious film. Um, my main complaint with that movie is that I also found, uh, I found the metaphor to be again, ham fisted and mm-hmm. on the nose. I, there's something about like Kent is a serious talent as a filmmaker, a serious talent. Um, 
But, like, I really hope for her next picture that, like, maybe there's a bit more trust placed uh, in the viewer to, like, pick up the themes, you know, to understand the point yeah. of the movie. You know, this is, like, something that I have taught for many, many years that you do not want to over-explain. You don't want to spoon-feed your audience. It really just cheapens the craft. Interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, maybe she, th- she thinks that's her style, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, all right, right. Sure. I, I, that's a, I mean, that's a good point. I, that That is a great similarity between the Babadook and Nightingale is the metaphor is not hard to get. Like, right, right. They, they are very, they want you to walk out of that movie understanding what their allegory is. Exactly. And what their right. message is. Um, yeah, so I, I think you and I are both on the same page here. Um, totally. It, so before we just hop into the, the sort of the end here, um, is there any other thing you wanted to add before we jump into our ratings? Yes, one thing that uh, it's a uh, I pulled a quote from not a quote, but I, I pulled a section of an interview that Kent gave. Uh, I don't know Vulture to Vulture or IFC or something like that. But anyway, it, it's just a bit about the history of the penal colony, the Tasmanian penal colony, that serves as a kind of a context, or even can serve perversely as kind of proof that there's a realism involved in this film, which is that. Women in the UK at the time who committed even, like, incredibly minor crimes would still be deported to Tasmania. Can you give Um, me an example of minor? Yeah, well, so, well, I I mean, the film can give you an example. You know, at one point, Claire is explaining to Billy why she wound up where she is. And and she essentially says she grew up on the street and had to steal to survive. So, so, you you know, it's a bit like a Jean Valjean thing and and stealing a loaf of bread, I think. You know, so so women who committed like minor crimes, I'd take that to mean stealing food to survive, would be sent along with the murderers and rapists and so forth to Tasmania, to the penal colony there, in order to, to even the gender imbalance. So that was... That was why a woman like Claire could wind up in a place like that alongside other heinous, heinous people. Um, was just this idea of evening the gender imbalance. And, of course, the, the, the really intense, I think, and stark uh, implication of that is that rape was rampant and ubiquitous, and I th- you know, as the, film, as the film portrays. So I thought that was both interesting and abjectly horrifying. I wanted to well, Interesting, yeah, because I think we've dwelled a little bit on the reading of of the race relations. Um, I mean, you pointed out all of the different power dynamics that this movie covered. Sure. Um, but I think we we hovered on race a little bit, but obviously this is a movie about um, uh, gender imbalance. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, the, the, the power imbalance that comes from that. Um, Patriarchy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean... But again, that was super obvious. It was, you know, these are right, right, right. white course, men in power, literally in power. Like they are in, until they give her her papers, yep. she is under their literal ownership. Oh, she's a possession. She's a possession, yeah. right. So, um, yeah, I, I, and, I, and I think the downfall of that was pretty clear at the end. Um, there is something interesting to say, because we didn't really talk at the very end, but the very end of the movie, mm. after Claire gives her little monologue, uh, her little i just belittled her monologue it was a very very (laughs) long and sung monologue um right (laughs) but after she gives that monologue she just leaves and she's like i'm gonna leave will enough alone i'm gonna go on i'm gonna live my life and then later billy runs off like later that night puts himself in full war paint gets a you know a, a spear and goes to the house where these two officers are, the two remaining officers that survived this whole thing and right. kills them both. And in the process he gets shot and dies. Um, and so that's an interesting message again about sort of understanding mm-hmm. that the people that are in power are always going to be against everyone else who's not in power. There's never yep. an equal number of people in power as those who are not in power. And I think that is sort of an interesting point to make. Like it's always going to be true, whether you're talking about the 1% and the 99% or, you know, police versus citizens. And I think it's an interesting dynamic that power is not about actual power, but it's about perceived power. Um, And so, 
Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't definitely a, you know it wasn't a terribly groundbreaking message, but it was interesting that um, they kind of banded together in their own way. Like that was the sure, first time yeah. you really saw Billy like say, right, right, "This right. is worth me risking myself for." That's right. You know. That's right. That's right. Um. Anyway, so yeah, I Good. think uh, I think we're in agreement. Really well crafted movie. Really well done. Um, the message I agree with. <laughs> um, but I don't. Right, I right. Of course, I wasn't terribly right. impressed by it. Um, so, all right, so let's do our uh, let's do our stars and sheeps. Yeah, so sheep for me is is a you know a cold hard zero. Let's call. I mean, sure. let me call it zero point five just because I don't I don't know. Okay. Um, it's just not. Uh, it's not intended to be that. I found some of her fever dream stories, uh, fever dream scenes, a little scarier than you did. Um, okay. Just because I, I I'm kind of triggered by screams and loud yelling. Uh, sure, sure, um, sure. And some of that was was the case. Uh-huh. So, so it was a little creepy. I definitely was not. Um, I definitely was not thinking about it when I was trying to go to sleep, but I will say I was disturbed after the fact, and I was yeah. just grossed out by this movie for, yeah. for yeah. interesting ways. So um, I'm going to give it a little bit, but what about you? Um, This is out of five, right? I ask you this every episode. I always forget. This is out of five or out of ten? We've done out of ten sometimes. Let's do them both out of five just for right. convenience sake. Um, I actually, weirdly enough, will give this a two out of five for scary. I... um. I and and for a reason that's pretty closely related to what you said. Like for instance, I, I like this wasn't even this was far. How do I explain this? Like I found it so horrible and horrifying that it did disturb me when I was trying to go to sleep and I was thinking about it and I couldn't get some scenes out of my head. It was not traditionally horrifying the way that a like a scary movie is. You know, a horror mm-hmm. movie, a pure mm-hmm. horror movie is. But this movie lingered and still lingers with me way more than like Paranormal Activity seventy five did, or In the Tall Grass, you know any you know those those films, um, and in some ways more you know than um, than like The Brood even or anything like that. So I I, I give it a two actually, a two out of five for me. Interesting. It, it definitely so is that because... certain images have stuck with me. I see. Okay, so is is that because you think you're inherently more more scared of of like realistic human condition than you are of like bumps in the night? Um. Y- yes and no. Um. I just thought. I just thought part of why I really liked this movie and liked is a weird way of putting it. But part of what really moved me about this movie was how how I felt that it really did justice to what life has been like and can still be like for women, you know? And I mean, in in addition to people of color and any sort of oppressed class, but in particular for women, uh, because those are the scenes that have stuck, that stuck with me. They they were, they were really terrible. I mean, they were, they were gruesome. Just gruesome. came to play when, you know, yep. Yep. Uh, like when it happened the first time I was like, okay, I guess that's all the sexual assault in the movie. And then it happened again and again. And it was like, I think, you know, there's something interesting about that because, I was subjected to it, but I, I would have to assume women are subjected to some degree of this. Oh my god! Yeah, every single day of their lives, whether it's cat, of course. cat calling or actual sexual assault. So, of course, um, yeah, I, I, you know that that's well taken. I, I again, I think like I'm sticking by the category is is just like I didn't. My privilege prevented me from having to sure. um, think about this at night. You know, but sure, um, sure, sure. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so what would you give this out of uh, out of our five star five pentagram rating? What, what, how effective do you think this was? Um, I so it's funny. I am um, I rated it in my notes. I gave it a four out of five. But after talking about it, literally just over the past hour, I want to take a half a star off just because I um I don't know. You know, the more it sits with me, the more I find myself wishing and thinking and fantasizing about what it could have been as opposed to what it actually was. Yeah. But uh, I, I give it, so I, I, I probably wind up, I, so I, I would say I wind up with a three and a half uh, pentagrams. <laughs> yeah. So I, that's so funny. I came into this with a three uh, and I'm giving it a three and a half. <laughs> yep. And there we go. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. I think, I if this movie if we were just grading this on the the you know the quality of the movie itself right, right. it would be you know really high 
Um, right. You right, can't right, right. take out the you know incongruous nature of the story being told and the setting yep. that it was told in. I think the story was decidedly unreal, but everything else about it was real. I don't know if sure. that makes yeah. sense. I'm sure this happened in. I, I this is like really hard to explain because I'm sure it, it, this sort of this exact thing happened. You know. Yeah. Sure. Um. So sure. it's like kind of unfair for us to call the dialogue and the storytelling like not realistic. Yeah, I but know what you mean. Right. It didn't feel as visceral as the effects and as the as the violence and as the setting and the camera work and. All that other stuff was amazing. Right. It just felt like the core script right. was right. Um, right. right. Yeah. Was trying and striving that, you know, yeah. it didn't didn't land. Um great, man. Well, I think this wraps her up. It does that's episode five in the books. Hot damn. Hot uh, damn. Yeah, so that's a hot that's a hot damn right there. That's a hot damn. Um Alright, I'll talk to you later, Jay. Bye bye. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. New extra charge hot and iced coffee from Dunkin' is made with 20% extra caffeine from green coffee extract because we could all use a little extra this year. Whether that's an extra boost, some extra boldness, or the drive to go the extra mile. We're extra ready for whatever comes our way and extra excited to take it on. Let's get it done with a medium extra charged coffee from Dunkin' for $2 with 20% more caffeine. And pair it with snackable stuffed bagel minis for an added all-day boost. Order ahead on the Dunkin' app. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Limited time offer.